1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. I always say it and I always mean it. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. We have a quote from Peter Diamandis. If you haven't heard of him, born in 1961, a Greek-American engineer, physician, and entrepreneur, best known as the founder and chairman of the X Prize Foundation, co-founder and executive chair of Singularity University and co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Abundance, The Future is Better Than You Think, and Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World, and on and on and on. Here's the quote. It's easy to forget that for centuries, for millennia, the workforce was all of us. Oh my. Well, that gives you an idea of what we're going to be talking about today here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Things are changing. Let me level set for you a little bit before I introduce you to our three esteemed panelists. Businesses today are drawing on multiple talent sources. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It's not just full-time employees anymore. You're looking at contingent workers. You're looking at SOW, Statement of Work-Based Consultants. You may have some freelancers, contractors, gig workers, seasonal workers, comes and goes. Why are you using all of these optional sources? Because you want to get work done in new ways. So we now have a new employment model reality. What's happening here? It's influenced by new technologies and changing consumer preferences. What does it mean to your business? Well, it requires you to develop strategies to shape new talent and create a culture, a new culture, a new workforce culture that reimagines, that enables and motivates not just the workers today, but the total workforce of tomorrow. Now I've given you a clue about our topic, total workforce management, the good, the bad, there might not be any bad, and the possible. I have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this all out. Let me just tell you who they are, and then we'll get started. First up, in just a minute, I'll be introducing you to Nicholas Whittall. I'll spell it W-H-I-T-T-A-L-L. He is managing director within Accenture's strategy talent and organization practice. Joining him on the panel, all three are newcomers to Game Changers, by the way, Dr. Autumn Krauss. She is a principal scientist in the human capital management research team at SAP Success Factors. Happy to have her here. And rounding out the panel, Another newcomer, Jim Brosny, B-R-O-Z-N-Y, Senior Director of Customer Operations at SAP Fieldglass. So happy to have all three of you on board. Let's start with the quote Nicholas Whithall has sent us from Nelson Mandela. It's from the autobiography of Nelson Mandela titled Long Walk to Freedom. Nelson Rohi lala la, la, Mandela, 1918 to 2013, was a South African anti-apartheid revolutionary political leader, philanthropist who served as president of South Africa from 1994 to 99. Look up the rest of his very interesting history. Here's the quote. I am fundamentally an optimist. Whether that comes from nature or nurture, I cannot say. Part of being optimistic is keeping one's head pointed toward the sun, one's feet moving forward. Beautiful quote. Nicholas Whittle, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you for joining us. Talk to me about the quote. We're talking about total workforce management and
2: what does this have to do with our topic? Well, Bonnie, when you think of Nelson Mandela, uh, growing up in South Africa myself, I observed how he placed people at the center of his entire life, really. And as we look at the changes that are facing the workforce, uh, both today and future, I think one of the most important things is a, to keep an optimistic perspective on things, but B, really to place and realize that as changes continue to proliferate, whether it's automation, the rise in the freelance marketplace, that fundamentally our belief from an Accenture perspective, and my belief personally, is that people will stay central to this workforce concept and conversation. And in fact, as more technology proliferates, the role of people will become even more central and even more important. And so I took that quote because I think there can be a pessimistic perspective that can shape the future of work in the workforce. And I rather look at the glass half full perspective that we're moving into an era of big change, but that big change represents and presents great opportunity for people in the midst of it. And so that's why I chose that that quote.
1: Thank you very much, Nicholas. Very glad to have you. I, I really appreciated the quote because I think it's a a mantra for living, a mantra for life in general beyond our topic. But I do have a quick question for you. In my opening, I quoted P- Peter Diamandis. It's easy to forget that for centuries, for millennia, the workforce was all of us. And since our topic is total workforce, we were, we as a people, civilization, culture, whatever, how far back in history, everyone had a job to do. What do you think about that? Is that that a broader concept of total workforce? or
2: Tell me. What do you think? Agree? I I do actually agree. I think the the perspective that we've had of the workforce up until recently has been that the workforce comprises those full-time workers that uh, clock in, clock out of our organizations. And I think this concept of total workforce uh, needs to span beyond just that narrow perspective. And I think it almost needs to become more boundaryless in how we think of our workforces. Uh, We have both full-time, part-time employees that are critical to our workforces going forward. But beyond that, we have ecosystems which are going to be as critical to our success as companies um, or our failure to really stay competitive and keep that cutting edge. And so I do think that the notion of how organizations have thought about their workforce to date needs to be expanded to include a broader uh, concept of what the workforce is going forward.
1: Thank you very much, Nicholas. Pleasure to have you on, and thank you for giving us your time today. And now let's turn Thanks. to Dr. Autumn Kraus at SAP Success Factors. And Autumn has found a very interesting quote from Benjamin Franklin. I've never heard this one before, Autumn. And a lot of people quote Ben Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. In case anybody doesn't know who he is, he had some letters after his name: FRS, FRSE. He lived from 1706 to 1790. And I love the list of the way people describe. People like Benjamin Franklin from the past, Autumn. Here's his job list. See if you could fit this into a resume. American polymath, one of the founding fathers of the U.S., a leading author, printer, political theorist, politician, Freemason, postmaster, scientist, inventor, humorist, civic activist, statesman, and diplomat. Oh, my. He also started Philadelphia's fire department, and he started the University of Pennsylvania in his spare time. Oh, my. Quite a guy. Here is the quote Autumn has selected. Who is wise? He that learns from everyone. Who is powerful? He that governs his passions. Who is rich? He that is content. Who is that? Nobody. (laughs) Sounds like a start of a good stand-up routine. Autumn Krause, how are you? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me. Delighted. Talk to me. Tell me about this quote. How did you pick this for our topic today?
3: I know, and especially after Nicholas's optimistic quote and path moving forward, I think I might get pegged as the pessimist on this uh, roundtable quite quickly here. Um, Well, I'm originally from Philadelphia, and so from my perspective, it's either Benjamin Franklin or Rocky are my two sources of inspiration. Um, There's probably some quote-worthy figures, I suppose, in the middle between those two, but um, they're my guideposts. And I really think that Benjamin Franklin, and those of you I'm sure are familiar with other quotes of his He's a straight shooter. He pretty much calls it like it is. And I think this quote really reflects a realism uh, about the humanness of being human. And and what I really mean by that is that it acknowledges that people have these innate needs and desires, um, things like wisdom and power and riches, but perhaps the path that uh, we get to achieving those is not one that we might suspect. And I think that that does very much relate to this idea of total workforce. And um, similar to what Nicholas is saying, all the different myriad incarnations, um, different employment relationships that we're going to be talking about today, uh, none of these is going to offer a perfect pathway to everyone's needs and desires. Um, But at the same time, if we think of what Franklin's saying here, what he's really talking about is that being wise and powerful and rich is more about learning and doing what you're passionate about and being content in your circumstances. And so, Um, In that respect, I think that maybe some of these new working arrangements that we're going to really dive into and dissect a little bit could get people closer to fulfillment. Um, And so at the end, of course, he laments, you know, nobody's there, but maybe after this conversation today, we might think that um, some people might get there.
1: Thank you very much, Autumn. Very interesting. Do you agree also, I'll take you back to my opening quote from Peter Diamandis and Nicholas commenting on that. Do you agree that everybody's part of the workforce, at least that's the way it used to be? What do you think? Absolutely. And I think that
3: we could definitely make an argument that today still everyone's in part of the workforce in different capacities. It's just that over the course of time, we've maybe made more narrow definitions of what constitutes a quote-unquote worker or not. And um, as Nicholas said, that boundary is becoming more permeable, and we might feel a more collective view that everyone's in it together in, in their various ways.
1: Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you on the panel today. And now let's turn to Jim Brasny, again, B R O Z N Y, if you want to look him up at SAP Field Glass. And Jim has sent us a quote from Alan Wilson Watts, 1915 to 1973. British philosopher, writer, and speaker, best known as an interpreter and popularizer, that's a new word for me, of Eastern philosophy for a Western audience. Very, very interesting. And he began Zen training when he moved to the U.S. in 1938 and became an Episcopal priest in 1945 and started the American Academy of Asian Studies in California. Why not? Another one of those Renaissance people. Here's the quote. Listen up. This is another beautiful one. The meaning of life is just to be alive. It is so plain and so obvious and so simple. And yet everybody rushes around in a great panic as if it were necessary to achieve something beyond themselves. Jim Brosny, I'm almost in tears. This is beautiful.
4: How how are you? (laughs) I'm very good, Bonnie. Thanks for having me today.
1: Delighted. Talk to me about this quote. This is another wow quote. The three of you really outdid yourselves. So how does this apply to Total Workforce? Are, are we working to create something that's beyond ourselves or are, are people demanding that we create something beyond ourselves? And who's panicking?
4: Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's kind of all of the above. And so uh, this quote kind of rings true for me. And I suppose that everybody has their, their own idea of what their purpose is, what it means to be successful. And, you know, I've had my moments where I've asked, is all of this work, all this hard work, is it really worth it? What's it for? Um, Why? And I think this quote kind of helps me sift through all of that stuff to get to really the heart of what's truly important. And I think that how it relates to our topic today is that perhaps we're moving into a time and an age where it's easier than ever to have the flexibility to create a life and to create and manage a career that allows us to have adventure in our life and to create a level of meaning and to be successful all at the same time without uh, necessarily having that soul-quenching um, sacrifice that, that we might have experienced before. And so I think that the with technology and the different types of work arrangements, it really allows people to craft a lifestyle that's uh, perhaps unique to our age.
1: Very interesting. Now talk to me. I have to ask you the same question I posed to Nicholas and Dr. Autumn Krauss. Peter Diamandis' statement, it's easy to forget the for centuries for millennia. Yes, there was a word millennia before there were millennials. The workforce was all of us. Are we still part of that? Is it, has it really changed?
4: No, I think we're all still part of the workforce. I think what's changing, though, as both Autumn and Nicholas uh, have already suggested, is that the way in which we engage with work The way in which companies are hiring individuals is changing, and it's shifting, and that opens up uh, a tremendous amount of flexibility both for the individuals as well as the corporations that are hiring them.
1: Thank you very much, Jim. Pleasure to have you on. And now we're going to get a little up close and personal with all three panelists, because that's what we do here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. We are real people having a real conversation. So, Nicholas Whittall, love to know where you are today, where in the world, and perhaps where you hail from. Sorry to end a sentence with a preposition, but I just did. And we'd love to know what is your favorite drink in the whole wide world that powers you, and what do you do at Accenture?
2: Go ahead, Nicholas. Great. Well, I am speaking to you from uh, northwest Arkansas right now. Um, I come from South Africa, born and raised, and moved to the um, States in 2005. Uh, what's in my cup today is, um, so although I grew up in South Africa, I live in Minneapolis, and little-known fact about Minneapolis is we have a Winter Misery Index, which this year uh, happened to fall about in the mid-range of uh, miserable winters. Um, And so for the last six months, I've been looking out the window, looking forward to spring and summer. And so one of my favorite drinks is a spring and summer-inspired drink. It is three parts your favorite lager. Mine happens to be um, Tusker, which is an East African beer, which is named after the the massive elephants that roam the Serengeti and Maasai Mara. Um, So three parts lager, one part Sprite. Now, I know some Mm. people may be thinking, why would you ruin a good lager with a bit of Sprite? But at the risk of wasting a beer um, over your summer, I I encourage you to give it a try, um, especially as the sun's setting on a nice warm summer evening, nothing better. And Fair as far and as what I do at Accenture. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. As far as what I do at Accenture, I'm a part of our talent and organization strategy practice and I lead our future workforce practice globally. So really thinking about the impact of the workforce that's coming, whether it's automation, these more adaptive workforce models that are starting to emerge and really helping our clients navigate some of the complexity of transforming their their workforce strategy.
1: Very interesting. Tell me something. What's the name of the drink you were mentioning, Nicholas? Because I think I have something
2: close to it.
1: It is called a Shandy. I got it. I got it. Shandy, yeah. I'm on Wikipedia with a Shandy, yes. We had a <laughs> panelist last week mention, yeah, Shandy is beer mixed with a soft drink, such as carbonated lemonade, um, yep. such as or 7-Up. It's used in the EU and UK, Australia, and NZ. Ginger beer, ginger ale, apple juice, or, or orange juice. The proportions of the two ingredients are adjusted to taste, usually half and half. Non-alcoholic Shandies are known as, do you know what they're called, Nicholas? Non-alcoholic Shandies?
2: I, uh, you've caught me now. I do. When you tell me, I'll. They're called rock, R-O-C-K, rock shandies. Shandy. That's it. Very
1: interesting. And in some jurisdictions, the low alcohol content of shandies makes them exempt from laws governing the sale of alcoholic beverages. Wow! Very, very interesting. Thank you very much. I think I warned you I'm pretty quick on the look up here as long as the uh, my are. connection is obeying. Oh, thank you. Two Shandies in one month. This is fascinating. I think I have to try one. I'm in North Carolina, and beer is so huge here, Nicholas. When you go to the grocery store, there are aisles and aisles of every kind of beer, and IPA is popular, and the the labels and the logos and the names are yeah. absolutely Crazy, anyway. That's for another the shandy, show. shandy,
2: I would definitely recommend sticking with the lager. The IPAs uh, might not give you the best uh, outcome. Too happy, so give it a give it a try.
1: Too happy, I will. Thank you very much. I think Friday night I am going to try a shandy. Thank you, and Doctor Autumn Krauss Doctor Autumn, where are you from, or where were you calling from today? I think you mentioned Philadelphia. Is that where you are? And what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? And what do you do at Success Factors?
3: Um, Thanks so much. I'm originally from Philadelphia, um, but now I call Denver home, and that's where I'm calling in from today. Okay. um, I I swear to our viewers, there was no planning um, related to what's all in our cups, but I also started going down the path of the IPA, um, not because I wanted to, but because um, in Colorado, many might be familiar with the fact that we're the first state as far as breweries per capita. I think it's like six per 1,000 or 100,000 residents and um, there really is a sense of pride, particularly with our IPA, so I figured I started by thinking that should be where I should head because otherwise I literally think I might get banished, particularly if this is documented. Um, What we're also really known for are distilleries, and that's been something that's popped up quite a bit in Colorado, and so just this past weekend... I went up to the mountain. It's mud season uh, up in the mountains right now, so perfect for the, for the locals to, to frequent them. And we stopped at the Breckenridge Distillery and picked up a bottle of uh, bourbon finished and sherry cast, which was their specialty of the season this year. So I did chat to the gal quite a bit in the, in the tasting room, and she insisted that this was not just for winter sipping. It's going to transcend into spring quite well. So that's what's in our cup this week, uh, at least in our household. Thank you.
1: And what do you do at SAP Success Factors?
3: Um, so, what I do is I'm, I sit in the Human Capital Management Research team, and we're a team of psychologists that are, are nested inside SAP Success Factors. Um, so, certainly a different discipline than you might imagine in a technology organization. Um, but we are really meant to be conducting customer research and making sure that the solutions and the products that we build. Are evidence-based and really rooted in what we understand to be the psychology of human behavior and employees' motivation at work. Um, so this is an opportunity for us to really serve as scientists, uh, continuing to conduct research and stay rooted in our in our discipline, and at the same time make sure that we get to translate that into a practical application and have impact on, in the world of work and how organizations
1: operate. Thank you very much, Autumn. Pleasure to have you on, and Jim Brasley, Can't wait to hear where you are and what you love to drink. Regale us. <laughs>
4: I'm in sunny Chicago today, and uh, I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to, even though I'm in Chicago, which is a huge beer town, I am going to shift to a cocktail. Uh, What's in my cup today is a Dark and Stormy, which is a very delicious cocktail made from dark rum, ginger beer, and lime juice, and my wife and I, we use the juice of a half a lime just to make sure that that drink stays healthy. And uh, I was first introduced to a dark and stormy by my father uh, a couple of years ago. Um, He and my mom brought the entire family, me, my wife, and my kids, and my sister, and her husband and kids to Maui to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day, I bought a ukulele, and I was having fun with it. Then my sister bought a ukulele, and then my dad bought a ukulele. And so that evening... We were all extra energized, drinking our dark and stormies, playing our ukuleles, and I have no idea how it sounded. <laughs> but uh, everything was you all didn't right. Didn't
1: care. With us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I bet it sounded wonderful. By the way, do you know who claims uh, where the drink was invented and where they say it was invented? The dark and stormy, Jim.
4: I'm going to guess the Caribbean, but I don't know. The I don't know.
1: Okay. The Gosling Brothers. Gosling Brother Limited is a Bermuda company concerned with blending and distributing rum as well as importing and distributing spirits on the island and maintaining a retail presence. They claim that the dark and Story move was invented in Bermuda just after World War One. And Dark and Stormy has been a registered trademark of Gosling Brothers' LTD of Bermuda since 1991. What do you think of that? It is uh, very popular with the sailing and sail racing community. They didn't mention anything about ukuleles. And there's actually <laughs> been uh, some litigation over the mark against Pernod Ricard and other other uh, rum makers who are saying it was theirs. So very, very interesting. Yes. Interesting.
4: Yeah, very interesting, and it uh, rings true, I'm a sailor as well, so I'm not surprised.
1: Okay, well, good to know. I I did a little educating here while I was doing my lookup. Very happy to have the three of you on, and in case you're wondering, uh, SAP and anybody involved with this show does not allow me to have any caffeine on radio show days, and I think you all know why. So all I'm allowed to have is water, cool, clear water in my cool, clear mug. I have a pink straw today because it's kind of iffy out. We're expecting thunderstorms and some rain, as the French say, "Plu." here in Durham, North Carolina, where I relocated eight months ago after 35 years on Long Island, New York, and I'm looking out at my beautiful garden, roses and lilies and marigolds and petunias and lavender plants and everything wonderful so the view is spectacular but I cannot have caffeine till after the show and I probably will skip it all together we're talking today about a very serious topic with a wonderful panel they're real people talking about real people in the total workforce Nicholas Whittall at Accenture Dr. Autumn Krauss if you're looking her up K-R-A-U-S-S at SAP Success Factors and Jim Brosny at SAP Glass. Jim tell me a little tiny a bit about Glass. What are you up to there?
4: Uh, so I am, my title is Senior Director of Customer Operations, and I am part of our professional services leadership team. I manage an organization called the Strategic Consulting Services Group, uh, and we perform, we have two main missions. One of our missions is to perform a value engineering type function. To our sales organization, helping customers understand the value that they will achieve from uh, implementing field glass. And the other mission that my team has is to help our existing customers optimize uh, their contingent workforce programs using the field glass application.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to have you on board. And now it's time for us to take a break. We're going to take a quick 90-second break. You can count those 90 seconds along with us. We won't be gone long, and we're going to be talking off air about where we're going to start the roundtable for real. My special guests are Nicholas Whittall, Dr. Autumn Krauss, and Jim Brosny. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And a shout-out to Courtney Hasselback at SAP for putting together this wonderful panel. Courtney, you've outdone yourself already. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com.
1: Here we are. We're back talking about total workforce management—the good, the bad, and the possible—and we're speaking today with Nicholas Whitall at Accenture, Dr. Autumn Kraus at SAP SuccessFactors, and Jim Brosny at SAP Field Glass. We're going to kick off the roundtable in earnest, as my late wonderful mother used to say. I took—I had a, a blind date with a gentleman named Ernest, and when I came back, I told her about it, and she asked me, "But was he sincere?" We'll just leave that one on the table. My mother had a very wry sense of humor, and I still laugh about that many years later. Nicholas Woodall is going to start us off, and here's something he told me before the show. Nicholas says, we are facing a talent shortage in the U.S. with an unemployment rate at 3.9% and one in six college graduates wanting to work for a large organization. The traditional approaches to sourcing and securing the best talent are changing. Nicholas, please
2: tell us more. Well, Bonnie, if you if you take those two macro data points and add to it the fact that 43% of the U.S. workforce is expected to be freelance by 2020, and that's likely to expand even further if the current pace and rate at which uh, employees are entering the freelance marketplace, if it continues at the current trajectory, that will be at around 51% in the next 10 years. So, I think what's, what we're observing and, and seeing here is that the traditional approaches to sourcing and securing the best talent are changing. And if I think of organizations 10, 20 years ago starting to show up on university college campuses, maybe 20, 30 years ago showing up on college campuses to really try to compete for that top talent. I think what we're going to start seeing as we go forward is organizations starting to create a presence for themselves in some of these digital platforms where new sources and pools of talent are starting to congregate. And so from an organization's perspective, I think we have to look beyond this freelance marketplace that is growing, expanding as more than just a cosplay. It's far more than that. And I think what we're seeing organizations starting to explore and even double down on is how do they tap into this freelance marketplace as a strategic and competitive advantage. And so beyond it just being a cost play, how do organizations leverage some really top talent that is congregating in these uh, platforms to really ensure that they're staying ahead of their competition in building their next product or uh, creating their next service and beating their competition to market? So from that perspective, I think the old ways of thinking about the workforce, thinking about the contingent workforce as a procurement-managed um, part of the, the organization has to change. And as we spoke about a little earlier, this more macro perspective on what the the workforce is and how to manage that workforce in a more comprehensive and cohesive way is going to become really critical for organizations that want to stay ahead of the game.
1: Thank you, Nicholas. Great introduction to this part of the show. Dr. Autumn Krass, love to get your thoughts. Agree or disagree with Nicholas Whittle?
3: Oh, I certainly agree with the statistics and with the fact that this segment of the workforce is increasing exponentially and that organizations certainly need to have a strategic approach to sourcing and managing that segment of the workforce that they need to moving forward. Um, so from an organizational perspective, I, I absolutely agree that that is a priority. I think um, what I would acknowledge is that the level of maturity that organizations currently have in their approach to managing uh, the contingent or the external workforce is quite low in many circumstances. Uh, mm-hmm. and in my research and in working with companies, i have clearly seen that um, they're still grappling with a basic knowledge of who in their organization is a is a contractor or an external worker and to whom do they report. Um, so we've, we have a long way to go um, with respect to organizations developing really strategic uh, roadmaps for how they're going to source and manage this part of the workforce. Um, and the other key point I would, would really make here is more from the employee perspective or the worker perspective. So I think Nicholas cites some really good studies or, and research that shown that that segment is absolutely going to grow. Um, so for sure, we're going to have more contractors. Um, at the same time, we can't work under the assumption that all those people who are going to be contractors actually want to be. Um, so we really need to recognize that as much as some people might be making that conscious decision to enter the labor market as a contractor... Jobs are also heading that way, um, so people need to follow those, even if they don't want to. And so part of this strategy I think that Nicholas is starting to describe that organizations need to really develop and capitalize on tech talent is to recognize that some of this workforce, uh, really, it's more job-led, that these jobs have become contractor-based and employees need to um, come along with that. And so organizations then need to figure out how to engage and retain um, that nuanced contractor workforce.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting, um, Jim Brosny. Love to get your thoughts. Agree or disagree with either Nicholas and or Autumn? Go ahead.
4: I agree with uh, both Nicholas and Autumn, um, and, and and I don't think it's it's new necessarily. Uh, Oxford Economics just recently came out with uh, some new research that has some very very interesting findings in there. Um, it was an extensive study of over more than 800 executives from uh, very large organizations, uh, in excess of five billion in revenue, and mm-hmm. four main themes came out of that uh, study. The study was really to identify what are the forces that are transforming how work gets done, um, and uh, similar to what Nicholas and Autumn just mentioned, there is this uh, this rise in acquiring talent through multiple channels. Companies are hiring people um, using alternative sources to full-time employees. They're hiring service providers. They're hiring contractors. They're hiring uh, freelancers through different uh, technology platforms. And they're hiring these individuals to take on work that's uh, very, very uh, dependent on the core of their business. So, for example, they're hiring organizations to take on uh, functions such as customer service facilities management, IT services, those kinds of things. And it's no longer cost. Is a, uh, is, cost is, has traditionally been one of the main reasons why a company would look uh, outside their, org, their own organization for uh, workers, easier to manage the costs uh, of that overhead. But now, um, many of the executives that responded to the survey are identifying other reasons developing and improving their products and services, increasing their speed to market, operating at full capacity and meeting market demands. And then finally, the fourth uh, key force that that emerged out of this survey, uh, out of this study, is visibility is everything. Um, Most organizations that have an extensive external workforce program in place don't really have visibility uh, into their entire workforce, um, much of the workers are siloed into individual uh, organizations within a corporation, and there isn't a holistic view into the external workforce. And this becomes problematic from a compliance standpoint. And so, I think that as these new uh, work and uh, these new ways of engaging with the workforce uh, come into play, what's going to be key here is how they're sourced, the strategy for sourcing, how they're managed, and then the visibility into the workers that are coming into their organization.
1: Thank you very much, Jim. Nicholas, interesting comments from your co-panelists. Anything you want to share to add about them before I move on?
2: <clears throat> Just building on uh, one point that Autumn made, I think this the, the journey ahead is not going to be an easy one, and we're not going to sort of trip over ourselves and land in a good spot. I think we, the organizations are going to have to be very deliberate in how they think about expanding their concept of the workforce and how they engage that workforce long term. And they have to think outside of the traditional boundaries that they've set for themselves, um, to date. And I think that's not going to be easy. There's a lot of complexity around Um, how you lead a a diverse workforce of contingent workers, full-time workers, et cetera. And I think that is going to require very deliberate and thoughtful leadership as we move forward.
1: Thank you very much. Autumn Krauss, I'm looking at your notes here. Here's an interesting – something I don't think we've talked about yet, still on the level-setting idea. You say there are more differences than similarities with respect to what constitutes a contractor, in quotes – Therefore, you say it is a disservice to the dialogue to lump them all together when describing them. There are many dimensions contractors vary on, some more operational as far as the working arrangement, some more psychological as far as their integration into the company culture. So, Autumn, why don't you take us through this? I find this fascinating, (coughs) excuse me, that you picked the word contractor versus gig versus temporary versus seasonal versus freelancer. So talk to me about how, let's just define contractor and then take us through the nuances. I think this is great for our audience to hear. Go ahead, Autumn.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And I did um, did use the word contractor, but I think that Um, even in the development of this conversation today and starting to um, review what we might all discuss, we are all using so many different words. That's why we've kind Uh of landed on this idea of quote-unquote total workforce um, because there are so many definitions that are being used or labels that are being used for this part of the workforce. So I picked one, um, but really my point is that there are so many different arrangements that are occurring and being combined together under this banner of the total workforce, the external workforce, whatever you might choose to call it at this stage. I don't think the industry and the dialogue have really landed on the right label. And, and with that in mind, uh, we sent. we're very much dichotomizing permanent workforce and, all, and everyone else, the other bucket, um, and when we're having a conversation about how we best manage them or engage with them or the level of investment that we make in them. And so um, a research program that our team has really undertaken now is to start to define uh, the different continua dimensions that this part of the workforce really varies on. Um, so you started to get into that a bit just now with the operational piece or the nature of the role. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really need to think tactically about this. So is it um, a long-term contract, a short-term contract? Is it a permanent role in a company where different contractors are cycling through um, versus a temporary role that's just been created to fulfill this one need? Um, things like do they work on site or uh, virtually? Are they managed by their own uh, supervision or managed by the company management team? So, these, these operational or role-based types of characteristics are really going to impact um, some of the psychological characteristics, so the extent to which a worker really identifies with a company. Um, and by that, I mean they are aware and embrace a company's values, and they also identify and support um, the management team and their direction. Um, perhaps you might even expect them to want to go above and beyond and exert discretionary effort for the business. Um, which I think I would argue is a tall task in, in order when you also really are building a more transactional relationship with the contractor. So to the previous discussion, we uh, started to talk about the value of not just cost reduction, but also getting um, more performance or value adds um, from engaging in this type of workforce. Uh, but that all really happens when workers are motivated and connected um, to the organization. So. I think we're at a bit of a balancing act because companies are really wanting an engaged, motivated workforce that is attached to the purpose of the company, when at the same time these employees um, might be more operating just by the nature of being a contractor in a more transactional capacity.
1: Thank you, Autumn. Before I bring Jim and Nicholas into this, something is on my mind. I'm going to ask you, Autumn, Where did this all come from? When did we stop being a mostly full-time employee workforce. When did we see the emergence? Did it come from, I'm going to use the the M-word, the millennials? Did it come from the boomers? Did it come from people are saying, nah, I don't want to punch a clock? Nah, I don't want to sit in an office, but I still have a lot to contribute. What is the source for this, I'll just come out and say it, this disruption of the traditional mm. workforce with the issues of sourcing and definitions and how do you pay them and cross-border workforces and virtual and working from home and working mobile? what's the genesis of all this? In other words, whose idea was it anyway? Autumn, can you help me out with that? <clears throat> I'll, I'll tell
3: you. I think there's two sources here. And, I again, like my talking points and my thoughts on this are, are it's a very complex uh, phenomenon that's occurring. So there's not going to be really one side that decided and the other side came along. And by that, I mean the two sides being organizations and employees. I think um, from an employee perspective, certainly uh, wanting to... Uh, have more flexibility and autonomy would be a driver. And also I've seen great examples of employees who um, have cobbled together, for lack of a better word, a really exciting and fulfilling lives to the conversation earlier. Um, so it, employees certainly and their motives and desires and, and organizations wanting to meet those to, let, to get access to that talent is one piece of the puzzle. The other piece is um, organizations, particularly coming on the back of the recession, uh, if you follow some of the labor statistics, when the jobs did come back, they came back as contracting jobs because the organizations were, in many industries, nervous about um, fulfilling those roles again in a permanent capacity. And so you also had jobs that once were permanent jobs being initially brought on as contractors and really have retained that status in organizations. So um, again my point earlier about employees having to meet the jobs where they're at, there's also an organizational driver here um, to allow for more agility uh in how they uh define their workforce and, and the and the cost and also pivoting their business strategy to bring on different types of talent uh and becoming being more nimble in that capacity. So those two drivers, and I guarantee that if you, if you throw this question over to, to Nicholas, um, he would also probably really get into the technology side of it. Because before, we would have all been have to re- required to come to work in a full-time mm-hmm. capacity. Because that was really where work was done. Um, and now we have technology that allows for more flexibility to the working arrangements.
1: Thank you, Autumn. Very interesting. I'm going to go around the table in the same order. Jim Brosny, love to know your thoughts on our discussion on contractors. Why use that word? What does it mean? What are the dimensions? And or how did this all start? Jim, talk to me.
4: <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with uh, what Autumn said uh, in regards to how it started. I think that there's been a long tradition of, <clears throat> uh, of companies using temporary staff to fulfill uh, transactional uh, positions, uh, here and there and then uh, at the tail end of the uh, of the recession when the economy started to climb back or even in the midst of it I, I suppose work still needed to get done in spite of the fact that uh, the, the workforce the full-time workforce needed to be cut and so work needed to be completed and, and one way to do that is to bring those individuals back into the organization mm-hmm. through a uh, through a limited contract perhaps so I agree with that wholeheartedly, and uh, and SAP FieldGlass actually benefited from from that uh, from that dynamic that was occurring. And so, um, so very interesting. Um, one thing that I'd like to comment on, if I could, about yes. what Autumn said previously around uh, the nature of the contractor relationship with the corporation. I find that very interesting as well. Um, the study that I mentioned earlier from Oxford Economics. One of the points that kind of floated out of that is that uh, a lot of a lot of the respondents are finding that as they bring contractors and external talent into their workforce, that they're actually actually finding that um, it's serving as motivation to their full time employees. That it's kind of upping the ante or raising the bar uh, where their full time employees are are. Uh, uh, it's having somebody from outside is actually encouraging them to perform at their best, and so um, I, I wanted to just bring that out as as it was as uh, Adam autumn's uh, conversation kind of reminded me of that that point.
1: Thank you very much, Jim. Very thoughtful remarks. Let's go around the table to Nicholas. You have been summoned by me as well as by autumn. What's your thought on all of this, <laughs> Nicholas Whittle?
2: Well, it <laughs> also me. must have been reading my mind because I do think the emergence of technology platforms that has allowed for easier connection points to be made between enterprises and this growing freelance marketplace has led to the increasing uh, leverage of that talent pool for organizations. So if I think of some of the platforms that have emerged of late, you know, they, they started as platforms that connected Nicholas, who needed to write a best man speech for his best friend's wedding, and I didn't have the ability to write it myself, so I outsourced that to someone to help me. These platforms have really expanded aggressively into the enterprise domain of providing easy access to testers, coders, scrum masters, and so I think it's easier today than it's ever been to have visibility into this freelance marketplace and to requisition work to that freelance marketplace. But I think what we're seeing as well is not just the leverage of an external workforce to the organization to increase agility and more um, of an adaptive model. What we're seeing is some of this thought process entering the four walls of an organization and looking at How does an organization start to leverage their full-time employee base in a more agile and adaptive way? And so one of the things that I think we're going to continue to see is this sort of breakdown of a traditional role and job into composite tasks that leads to more of a focus on work planning going forward as opposed to what's traditionally been the place of traditional strategic workforce planning. And I think it's going to be an interesting journey for organizations to travel down as they, as they strike the balance between really looking at the work and then looking at the workforce that's best suited to complete the work and how that is going to change all types of operating model considerations, leadership considerations. And so, again, I think the change ahead is fairly significant and um, But I think we're seeing that the marketplace and where the talent is congregating really helping to drive some of that change within organizations.
1: Thank you, Nicholas. Autumn, in the interest of time, because we're almost at our crystal ball predictions round, I want to skip asking you to wrap this one up. I think we had a really good discussion on this point. I want to pull up a couple of notes here from Jim and have Jim explain them. Jim, number one, you say, yes, many people, including millennials and retirees, are participating in the workforce under a different set of terms. Technology allows them to be untethered. Viable talent can be anywhere around the globe. Good point. Now, Here's what I'd like you to quickly give us an overview. And by the way, I am going to invite the three of you back for a part two on this show later in the summer if you'd like to come back because we have so much more to talk about. Great topic. Jim says, there are four key forces transforming how work gets done. Number one, the multi-channel workforce. We've talked about that. It's about the core, core operations. Number three, cost is not the whole story. And number four, visibility is everything. So Jim, can we focus on the visibility? You say the external workforce is critically undermanaged at most companies. Inadequate attention from the C-suite hinders effectiveness. Workers, exa- rather, Executives are not well-informed about the who, what, where, why, and when of their external workforce. Can you focus on that for about two minutes, please, Jim?
4: Sure. Sure. I can. Um, you know, in spite of the, uh, the expanded use of an external workforce, companies really don't know who's working for them. There's not a holistic visibility into that external workforce. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they're located. Uh, they don't necessarily know which systems they have access to, and they don't always understand... Mm-hmm. Uh, or know how much they're paying them. And all of this should throw up red flags from both an, an internal compliance perspective as well as to a regulatory compliance perspective, fiscal responsibility, uh, et cetera. So, and what I mean, you know, what I'm referring to here is for an example might be um, hospitals, they hire contract nurses. Uh, are, there, are those nurses' certifications up to date? Factories mm-hmm. are going to hire contractors to work on the line. Is there safety training up to date? How, where's the visibility? How does an organization get visibility into this? And actually, from our, our perspective, from a, an SAP Fieldglass perspective, I was recently talking to one of our uh, pharma customers, and they hired Fieldglass to help give them visibility into their external workforce, and they were sure that they had 7,000 workers uh, that, mm. were part of their, uh, that were off their payroll but conducting work on behalf of the company. Once we implemented the solution, what we discovered was that there was actually 16,000 external workers. So it was quite oh. eye-opening. And it's, an, it's alarming because those workers, many of them had access to data, access to their systems, email addresses, uh, confidential information. So that's very alarming. And uh, with the systems in place, now that risk is is being managed. And so I think to kind of highlight that point here, Nicholas was just talking about uh, the different platforms that make uh, talent available to an organization. It's not just about acquiring that talent. It's actually about managing and gaining visibility into those individuals that are coming to do work and conduct business on your behalf.
1: Thank you very much, Jim. Great overview. Excuse me for clearing my throat on air. No choice here. I don't have a mute button. Okay, let's circle around to Nicholas Whittall at Accenture. Nicholas, vite, vite, as they say in French, I can give you 60 seconds. That's all for your predictions. Let's look ahead to, oh, I don't know, uh, the day after today or anything up to 2025. What will change about the concept of total workforce management predictions? Mr. Nicholas Whittall,
2: go. So I think the presumptive judgments around freelancers and full-time employment will flip completely. I think we're going to see um, an increase in the leverage of the freelance marketplace. I think organizations will find themselves with a smaller core and focusing more on a very powerful ecosystem that they tap into. I think added to this conversation, which you haven't touched on yet today is going to be this concept of automation and artificial intelligence and the role Mm -hmm. that that starts to play in the organization as well and how that augments the human experience within an organization. And so I think coupled with all of this, there is going to be an increased focus on reskilling the workforce, whether they are full-time employees or the contingent labor force to really deliver the type of results that an organization needs to do and really be relevant for the future of work that an organization is headed into. But I think we're seeing big change coming. I think the freelance marketplace is a big component of that. I think the role of automation and AI within an organization is a second component and reskilling the workforce to be relevant and uh, have the skill sets they need to, to compete and succeed is going to be the third leg of the stool that is going to be absolutely critical.
1: And you just gave us the focus for part two. Thank you very much, Dr. Autumn Krauss. Nicholas went a little bit long. I've got 60 seconds for you. Keep it tight. Go ahead. I will, indeed. And um, I'm thinking about really where things will be in about five years' time.
3: And Mm -hmm. a whole another topic that we need to add to the agenda for next time as well, Bonnie, is the legal background on this and, and how there have been quite a few cases. And part of my prediction is that there will continue to be legal cases and associated regulations because... Um, at the end of the day, we see, that we see contractors as a strategic asset and we want, to, want them to be fulfilled, but there will need to be a backstop as well because companies will exploit the contractor status and these high-profile cases, they will provide minimum requirements to how we need to employ contractors. Um, but on the totally other end of the spectrum, I think that we're going to see total workforce management as a key differentiator in employment brands. Um, On Glassdoor, you can already tag whether you're a contractor when you give reviews. Definitely take a gander and look at that. You'll see the variability in how contractors are treated inside organizations. Uh, And definitely more of an emphasis in great places to work, um, needs to consider how contractors are managed, and the culture that's created for contractors and companies. So I look ahead and I think we're going to have more HR ownership of this in a really strategic way. Um, so think about having explicit ownership of contractor relations um similar to how we would manage high potentials in talent management or diversity and inclusion. um this was, would be a part of the workforce that we would want to really uh,
1: focus on for inclusion practices and, and thank you Autumn. Upside. I need I need to give you I need to give thirty seconds to Jim for wrap yep, up Jim okay. go ahead <clears throat> sorry, no Jim, problem. go ahead, Jim buzzing.
4: You're all I yours' will be very sh- Mine will be very short here, uh, and I want to follow along with everything Nicholas and Autumn said. Very simply, I'm going to state that by 2023, uh, 85% or more of the Fortune 2000 companies will have developed and implemented sophisticated systems and platforms to successfully manage their multi-channel talent supply chain.
1: Thank you very much, man of your word, brief and to the point. We are going to come back for part two. I think the end of August, I have some open dates. We'll talk about AI Machines, we'll talk about them as part of the workforce, reskilling humans and legal regulations for contractors. Great points. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Excuse my throat here. Thank you so much to Courtney Hasselback for assembling a marvelous panel. Courtney you Did Yourself Today. Thank you to Nicholas Whitall at Accenture, Doctor Autumn Krauss at SAP Success Factors, Jim Brosny at SAP Field Glass, and also to Dr. Stephen Hunt. Haven't had you on the show in a while, and I know you designated Autumn and we're delighted to meet her. So thank you to Aaron, our engineer. <laughs> our our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. V veet, veet, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Nicholas, just like Autumn, just like Jim, and maybe just like me. Go manage your total workforce. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag, pound sign, Radio. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.